Welcome back to episode number 17. Number JV. Number Jeremy Lin. Nice. Old Jeremy Lin. Okay, nice. I like that. Of the Fade Away Podcast. I'm your host, Fatty, and alongside me today, this name is fitting for uh, one of the topics that we're going to discuss today, but Mr. Zato Mori, how you doing, man? That's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, a good that's, one. That's I like fitting. that a lot. Uh, Zato Mori, a.k.a. Daryl Mori, is the uh, Houston Rockets GM, everybody. Yes. And we're going to talk about some Rockets. But uh, before we get into that, how you doing, bud? We're good, man. Next weekend, now back to some basketball. Trade, trade deadline is over. Yeah. Now we're seeing, or we're starting to see, some of the results of the trade and what's going on. And maybe we'll, we'll, we won't give grades on anything, but... I'm sure a lot of people are trying to starting to give early grades on who won, who yeah. lost, whatever, whatever. So we'll 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 talk a little bit about that and, and allude to it at some point today. Sure. How how are you though? I'm hanging out. Just uh, got uh, last minute things to do before I go off to the Dominican Republic. Okay. Shout out to our boy Bebo. We're going to his bachelor party. Should be a good time. Uh, I grabbed some U.S. currency today, man. Ooh. It's the, the rate's tough. Was the rate's tough, six? but yeah, it's something like that. Jeez. But. It is what it is. Uh, the things you do for love. So shout out to Bebo. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's dive right into it, man. Uh, before we get into sort of the topics that we're going to discuss, I want to introduce a very special guest uh, in the building, but not really in not the really building. Uh, Mr. Lewis Zatzman is a contributor for the Raptors Republic, a good friend of Samson folks, according yes. to Samson. I don't know how Lewis feels about him, but, <laughs> but we got Hello. Lewis in the house. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. It's great to be here. I... Uh... Just trying to think of all the jokes about bachelor parties in the Dominican Republic. Sounds like a hell of a time. <laughs> Have you ever been to one? Never. It sounds like something I need to try, though. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got to do it. I had mine in uh, Mexico last summer. Mm-hmm. That was uh, it was a good time. We had 22 guys come out. It was pretty good. Sounds like fun. Yeah, it was good times. But uh, but yeah, man, let's, uh, let's get right into it. So we wanted to have you on, obviously. Um, uh, you are a key contributor for uh, Raptors Republic. You cover Raptors everything from start to finish. Uh, but we like to have you on and just dis- discuss, a, you know, a lot of the things going on and on around the league. Not necessarily only uh, with the Raptors, but just things that are headlining around the league right now. So I wanted to start with one thing that happened over the weekend. So we all know, uh, and if we don't, um, the Portland Trailblazers are in the uh, hunt for a playoff spot. So the, obviously, the last like. The last playoff spot in the West is probably yeah. the most coveted playoff spot in recent history in terms of how many teams are in the running for it, how close they are it's in always, the running for it's it. It's always tight in the Western Conference. It's but always this tight, is, but there's like a good three, four teams. This, this is a time good one. It's a good like seven, eight, not eight, but six, six, seven teams that are really in the running for that last seed. So uh, Portland Trailblazers being one of them, and they were uh, going up against Utah on the weekend. And uh, Damian Lillard was having a fantastic game. Obviously, Oof. he's been on, on fire. We talked about him last week. Yeah. Uh, so he goes up for a layup, hits the backboard, and then uh, Utah's big man, uh, Rudy Gobert, swipes it. So oh, by the God. rules of basketball, as soon as the, the ball touches the backboard, you cannot block it as a defender. That is an automatic goaltending uh, count the point. Whether it's going in or not, it's an automatic goaltending. You get yep. the points for Portland. It was not a reviewable play because it was not a call. And That's the wild. refs look at Portland directly, and this is all words of CJ McCollum, words yeah. of Dame, words yeah. of of Terry Stotts, and they look at them and say, uh, you know, this was evidently not, not a goaltend. Cool. We are not going to review. And then within thirty minutes of the game, uh, I think I can't remember who the lead official was, but they went on after and said, yes, we missed it. Uh, to which Damian Lillard was not having it. He said, you know, it's unacceptable. It's BS. Uh, 
they cost us a game. We're in the playoff run. Mm-hmm. Like, this is unacceptable. But CJ brought up a really good point and a point that I've been trying to hit home, but obviously I don't have the voice that CJ McCollum does. So obviously people listen much more when he speaks. But CJ McCollum said, in the same way that us players are fined when we do things that are not correct or speak out against things like, you know, poor officiating, the, the officials should be reprimanded accordingly uh, just to, you know, avoid these situations. And we've had plenty of these situations happen with just terrible, terrible end-of-game officiating, especially as Raptors fans, I'm sure we've all had our fair share of experiences of, you know, mm-hmm. not getting those calls at the end of games by, by the officials. And sometimes, obviously, when we're watching from TV and we get all the angles, it's easy to see that these guys missed the call. Mm-hmm. But when you're an official running on a court five-on-five five of guys that are over 6'5", it, it can, you can miss calls, and I, I definitely can mm-hmm. understand that. Uh, but, Lewis, I want to start with you. Where do you stand on this whole thing? So, CJ McCollum says that referees or officials should be uh, reprimanded and or fined accordingly. Uh, where do you stand on this? I think that's sort of a, a mixed metaphor. Because basketball players aren't fined when they make a mistake. You know, Damian Lillard's not fined when he misses a, a, a layup that he should have made. He's fined when he he's fined when he does something you know outside of the realm of a basketball player. If he were to use a you know a, a, a racial slur or try to start a fight, you know something that basketball players aren't supposed to do. Not that Lillard you know would ever do that. He's actually like the model of what a superstar should be. Mm-hmm. But a ref missing a call that's within the you know the the realm of a game that happens. And yeah, it was a super blatant call. That is as bad an example as you can ever find, but it's still part of his job, and it's expected that people sort of screw up sometimes in their job. Mm-hmm. So I think finding a ref for something that's in the job seems a little uh, a little different. That's a big change for me. What do you think about that? I, mean, I sort of, I don't disagree with your point because I think you're on, you're on the money with the reasons for why people get fined, but... I, I think their their officials should be reprimanded somehow, some way. I'm not saying necessarily find them financially or something, but the fact that they the league protects them to the point where they find players for speaking up against a, a blatantly missed call, it almost feels like the refs are untouchable, right? They can go in and they can make these costly mistakes that end up resulting in sometimes the game, you know, the result of the game changes based on certain calls that are made or certain calls that aren't made. So I think that in that sense that they should be held accountable for certain things, uh, obviously it's tough to like. I don't, I don't know what the exact punishment should be, but I definitely would like to see the league sort of take a stand against, or at least make it known that like, okay, this is happening all too often at, at the end of games for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Let's do something to change it, whether that be implement, you know, more than just one challenge for coaches, mm-hmm. or have a thing like I was thinking over the weekend. Rather than giving coaches two challenges in the game, give them the regular one that they get. But why don't? Why doesn't every team get? you know, they unlock a challenge in, the, like, the last two minutes of the game, yeah. right? Just to have something in the last two minutes. I know it could slow down the game a little bit, but at this point, we're already reviewing everything, whether mm-hmm. you challenge it or not. So just something that the league is just going to stand up and say, you know, we understand that this is happening and it's costing teams games. And then in turn, we're finding players for it. So I, I don't disagree that the reasoning is very different, but I do believe that the the ref should be held accountable. Zaid, what do you think? There's layers to it, and you have to understand that First of all, you say, I, I like Lewis's point where it's it's a, it's a mistake on the job. That's exactly what I was, was going to say. You can't 
imagine how many mistakes we've made in our day in our in our day jobs and imagine we got fined for every single one of them right <laughs> some of us wouldn't have checks right so yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what it really comes down to is first of all the, the the refs are employees of the league so when you say you want the nba to stand up against the refs that's not going to happen because they're the nba and the refs are one they're not going to go against them the issue so are that, they a separate no they're entity? not but they're employ but the ref they're separate. They're they're third party technically because they don't. I mean, they shouldn't take orders from the league, but they are employed by the league. The rules are made by the league, right? And yeah. so it's it's not like they they contract a third party refing association. Mm-hmm. They are NBA refs, right? Mm-hmm. So they are technically employees of the league. So you're not gonna have anyone. So you're not gonna have like uh, Zach Zarba refing like the local YMCA game. Because no, you can't. <laughs> the board that he's a part of is is contracted by the whole no. city. I understand what you're talking about. Right? They're they're employees of the league. So you're not gonna have anybody stand for, or from anyone from the league stand against them. The issue is not really with the refs because we know they make mistakes. The issue is with the implementation of rules and the rules that are out there. Yeah. If I honestly I think obviously it's gonna slow down the game a lot, but you should be able to review every single questionable call in the last two minutes. If every you re- single one. If you request a call that is uncertain like that, and yo, they have some but, but like, what do you? How do you define uncertain? Like, like that. What's uncertain to me cannot be uncertain to the ref. Like if 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 a whole team is up in arms complaining about it, okay, there's that, an issue. But there. you and I both are officials. I'm talking about right. Uh, and how many times in a game has it happened where like violations, not fouls? I'll go with violations. Yeah, but I'm saying angle-wise, right? Like, there's the angle is so crucial. Like, he could have very well missed that call, right? And, like, he could have also... It yeah. could have also been the other way where they thought he missed it. Yeah. But they didn't. There's been a lot of times where coaches challenge, and mm-hmm. they, they fail the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So, I agree with you that there should be something in the last two minutes, but to give everybody an argument based on, like, what they think is unacceptable, it's going to get so well, messy. It, it, you obviously have to put more... Limits on it. What you want? If we don't limit, last three seconds, last minute, whatever it may be. But yo, they have Secaucus in New Jersey. Yeah. What are they doing? How are they not behind the scenes reviewing that play? Like while it's ha- like while it's happening. You know, like some, like there's somebody a, in the ref's ear, like, hey, he should review this kind of thing. Yeah. How? How is that? Because that whole like essentially that debacle of you know Dame Lillard and everybody going off saying review, review, review. That probably took two to three minutes just to calm everybody down. Yeah. So how in that time span? How do you not have Sakaka's in the backs in the background saying, "Oh, let's look at it. Let's review it. Review, review. Oh, you should review it. This is the wrong call. This is the right call." Yeah. Right? There like there's just a a disconnect or an, a misimplementation of of what should actually happen and that's where it costs a playoff spot. Yeah. So it's the league's fault in my in my opinion. And Lewis, where do you stand on like do you think that the league should just continue doing what they're doing? Would you like to see something different? Well, I actually agree with the idea that, you know, some things even if the rules say you can't you know, review it occasionally. It can you can go against the rules. This is a good example. It's just so blatant that even if the rules say it's not reviewable, maybe sometimes you can make an exception. The spirit versus the letter of the law type thing. Yeah. But as to you know the punishment, I actually think a much more fitting punishment. The thing that does happen is so Josh Tiven was the um, was the crew chief in that game, mm-hmm. and as we're talking, I I looked it up. He's he's ref twenty seven playoff games in nine seasons, which is a fairly low number. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, right. that's pretty low. Yeah. yeah, And you make a bonus when you ref a playoff. You make more money when you ref playoff games. Mm-hmm. And when you screw up calls like that, you know, your punishment is you, you don't ref a ton of high-profile games, right? Absolutely. So you make less money. So in a sense, 
you're not being fined publicly. You're not being flamed. You know, they are NBA uh, employees, just like you said, but your sort of potential future earnings are mm-hmm. affected. So sort of exactly what you're calling for is almost a, a, a sense of what does happen. Yeah, that's fair. Sure. That's a that's a fair. I mean, that's how it goes when we're, we're, we're both officials and that's yeah. how it works with the board. The, the less yeah. experience you have and the worse you are, you're not going to get those yeah. high school. Or and, and I was I was actually talking to a guy from our local board here in, uh, in the and he he's a college official here. So he does mm-hmm. like OUA games. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that after every single college game, they have. A panel like review session. A they debrief, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. They sit with, two, and sometimes they get chewed out. So yeah, it's not necessarily in the media the way it is right. for players when they have yeah. that profile. But I, I don't doubt for sure that officials are getting uh, chewed out by oh, yeah. their, you know, their seniors yeah. and whatnot. I just want to see the league implement an additional challenge, just because I don't like the challenge rule. Like you're giving one challenge for the whole game for the whole game and if it, it's not like you keep it if you get it right you know what yeah, i mean like, I, I like that one so at least give them one in the last 30 seconds the last two minutes whatever mm-hmm. the case may be just because i think there's a lot of missed calls that happen in the last two minutes and we have a lot of technology in place to prevent stuff like yeah. this from happening so uh it would uh, it would be good to see but uh let's move on to Basketball. the houston rockets yeah, let's like, like actual basketball. <laughs> basketball. Yeah, no, I'm talking about refs. <laughs> um, so uh, the Houston Rockets on the trade deadline made some noise. Uh, they gave up Clint Capella. They're pretty much their only, only center. center, I guess. They have, they have Tyson, Tyson Chandler, Chandler right? but he doesn't really play that much. Great cheerleader on the bench, though. So. Oh, yeah. Um, so they got rid of Clint Capella, and everyone was kind of scratching their heads, and they're like, okay, like, what kind of move is this? Well, obviously, like, you know, Frittata and Mori need to get below the luxury tax. I don't think they can win with this team, which mm-hmm. is fair. We talked about this last episode, uh, but it's fair. You look at the money you're spending, you're over the luxury tax, and you have money tied up in a guy like Clint. I understand the need to flip him, but the fact that they got back uh, Covington, who's a, a wing player, very fine wing player, who hit a massive shot last night. Uh, but then they got Jordan Bell, and everyone's like, okay, maybe they're going to play like a small big, and then they shipped off Jordan Bell. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, we'll put that one to sleep. So now at this point, they stand with PJ Tucker, who is a small forward at best. A three, like a three, right? Like uh, he's starting at their five. James Harden's oh. taking their jump ball for them. Oh my god! And oddly enough, if it were not for a miraculous Boyan Bogdanovich shot last night over two defenders, which we can argue whether he was fouled or not, and I think he was fouled. That's a nasty uh, shot, though. But he, that shot, if you actually, there's Boy a camera on. There's a camera angle from right behind him. Yeah. That shot was on the money the second it left his hand. It was, it was butter. perfectly straight. Butter. Swish. Like, and if it weren't for that shot, we, we're going to see the Houston Rockets go 5-0 and oh in the last five, like, I don't five, five It would have been 2-1 and one they since, they, like, since they dealt Capella. No, they, they were, was they had three games? gone four straight, and one then they, that would have no, been their Capella. They got crushed by Phoenix. They got blown out. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That is totally correct because yeah. Kelly Oubre had like 39. He, he had to snap yeah. for them to lose. So. Right. Okay. So if it weren't for Kelly Oubre's <laughs> career night yeah. and the miraculous boy on shot, we're seeing these teams like they're right there. Yeah, they got blown out by Phoenix, but they were right there to beat yeah. Utah. They won impressive games. And they won games with P.J. Tucker starting at the center or games where Clint Capella's out. Uh, but then what I'm hearing, you know, guys who cover the league, cover basketball, they're saying, you know, eventually uh, there's going to come a point in time, whether it be later in the season or in the playoffs or foul trouble or whatnot, mm-hmm. where they're going to need a body. You know, if P.J. Tucker's in foul trouble, what do you do? So, Lewis, I want to start with you here. 
what is your thoughts on, or what are your thoughts on the Houston Rockets um, small ball? Is it working? Is it going to work? Or where do you stand on that? So I love this. I mean, I may be in the minority, but I really like the idea of what Houston's doing because it's different. And yeah, aesthetically, people don't like how it looks because there's mm-hmm. not a ton of ball movement. Although there's more since they lost Capella. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's new. Like intellectually, the idea of pioneering the game of basketball, trying to push it in different directions, you may not win or you may, but either way, it's still cool to do new stuff. Um, and since, I mean, since the trade, I think defensively, they've done a ton of really impressive stuff. So not to get too sort of niche, but what they've been doing to defend the post because you know, they play Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, James Harden, these guys who are sort of six foot four, six foot six in between there. They all sort of three quarter the post and cheat in super far from the weak side. So if you throw a lazy lob pass, they're taking it, they're stealing it, they're going the other way. And they've hit a ton of transition threes since then. Actually, Robert Covington's fantastic at getting those steals. So his specific acquisition sort of unlocks that. And what that does is it's not just James Harden's team anymore they're, they play their play sort of fits the style of all these other players but instead of offensively it's this defensive identity because Eric Gordon the guys I just named Austin Rivers they're really strong defending the post they're short for NBA players but they're crazy strong and so you know maybe it won't work because a like you say what do you do when you get in foul trouble um b what if you just miss threes? You can make, you can create a lot of open threes, but some nights you'll miss them. Maybe four nights and seven, right in the playoffs. So you might lose there. C guys get crazy tired. I mean, Eric Gordon's really strong, but it's really hard for someone like him to hold off Anthony Davis in the post forty times a game. You know, including uh, boxing out on rebounds, things like that. So, so there's reasons why it might not work, but it's new and it's fascinating to watch something new sort of unfold before our eyes it's interesting you see it, it, it is a bit fascinating it's out of the ordinary right and they're yeah. the only in a league that everyone says it's a copycat league they're the only ones who've gone against the grain in, in a sense uh i i watched that laker game because i was excited that was the the first game where it's a good game they traded oh, yeah. away capella right i was excited. i'm like man AD, bit of a statement game to be honest it was a huge yeah. game for them and i was excited because i'm like you know this is going to be a slap for the Rockets, like Lakers are gonna come out here and blow them out, and it was the exact opposite. And when you look at the like at, at the box score, that philosophy of we're just gonna score more threes than you is exactly what they did. They shot forty five percent from three. They hit nineteen threes. The Lakers shot twenty nine percent, hit nine. Mm. Yeah. Points in the paint. Rockets had forty. The Lakers had sixty two. Yeah. So they got dominated inside. The the Rockets got dominated inside, but they just shot more threes and they ended up winning the game. And that's how it's going to be for the rest of the season. And it's somehow, it's it seems to be somewhat working. And they don't seem to be getting out rebounded much. Like they, they it was thirty seven, thirty eight in the, in that uh, Laker game uh, against the Jazz. It was forty eight, thirty six yeah, for the so Jazz. Is, yeah. So it's not like they're getting blown out on the rebounds, and they, they they're not being they're not able to contain their the other team's bigs. They're, it's somehow working in a way, but, and they're right there. But it's just not. It's just they. They don't know how to get over the hump with it. I feel there's something strange, uh, ironic to me about a team that uh, essentially was kicked out of the playoffs after missing 27 straight threes, and they're cashing in on. Tur- yeah, t- turn into a team that is, yeah. you know, at this point, like 
all in on this yeah. philosophy of no big men. There's two things I want to take away, from, but if you want to add to I, your point, when, when we talk about those, they went 0 and 27. So that's that Phoenix game. They shot 23 percent from three. Yeah, and then they got blown out. So blown out, see, yeah. that's so it's you're literally living and dying by the yeah. three. If you miss, you lose. Exactly, yeah, living and dying by the three with guys like James Harden who've proven that they can houses yeah. <laughs> uh, on certain nights with all the bricks that they're throwing up. Yeah, uh, Russell Westbrook is at this point like he just he himself cannot. gave up on shooting. Yeah, threes. he cannot shoot. Um, and then you got guys like Eric Gordon, Robert Covington, um, Daniel House Jr. who's playing nicely for them. Ben McLemore is playing really well for them. Uh, but all guys that I am I you know all my eggs in those baskets. I don't know that. Uh, these are the guys that I want to rely on, especially for this philosophy. But two things that I want to point to to what this sort of means is, A, I want to talk about Russell Westbrook's ability to play without a big man because he's looking virtually unstoppable. Not only is he... yeah, Like, I was watching the highlights against... I didn't get to get a chance to watch their Utah game, but I did watch the highlights. I promise you guys there was like seven minutes... Or not seven minutes. I guess say like three or four minutes of this highlight video where I was like... I feel like I'm watching a looped video of Russell Westbrook layups. <laughs> like, he's just walking in, like, one-handed. Lay- he's not even holding the ball with yeah, two hands. He just... he's, he's just dragging it. He cradled Gobert. Gobert. He put his body into and him. And they Ooh. asked him post-game. They're like, how do you feel when you go up against a guy like that? He's like, why would that be any different? He's like, all I'm going to do is go in there, give him a chest bump like I do with everybody else. He just so happens to be a little bit taller. Yeah. Right? So that mentality of, okay, now that the paint is clearer, this guy can go to work. And he has been going to work. So... Shout out to Russell Westbrook. He's killing it. Got to give him his flowers. But the second thing that kind of devastates me is this is like, I feel like this is a turning point in the sport of basketball. And there's a lot of guys right now who are in college who are back-to-the-basket guys that are like, damn, like, do I have a career? Like, nope. am I going to make it? There's guys who are in high school right now, maybe looking to go to college or just committing to college, and they're like, man, by the time I'm in the pros, is there going to be a spot for me anymore? Not and that's even. the scary part. And, and you know, last year we, we saw Nick Nurse run all the triangle twos, the, the box ones, yeah. the zones, three, two, two, three, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they called it janky last year, and now everyone's running zones. Yeah. Right? When people see that something is working, they're going to grasp out and they're going to run away with it. If Houston can make this look like it's working for a bit, I do worry about, you know, the not game. worry because change is good. It just, it, it almost like, I feel bad for all these guys who are like, you know, put in all this work for their whole life to only have their position completely eliminated from the sport. So it's not even back to the basket bigs. They're like, Capella wasn't a back to the basket big. They got rid of a pick and roll big. Yeah. So you're li- literally absolutely. If they're not. Distinguishing the, they're, the position. Yeah, they're useless. Right. Although if they had someone who's, you know, seven feet tall and could dribble and shoot, then you they would play him. They just. They didn't have anyone like that. Right, yeah. I they, mean, need a, they need a Porzingis. Yeah, it's yeah. funny sort of a comparison with how different teams, different people envision the future of the NBA, just like you say, back to the basket. Because I actually, I mean, I was in a conversation with Nick Nurse about this the other day where he was asked how he sees the future. And he says guys like Kyle and Fred are not the future. It's actually, he thinks teams will have, you know, five, six foot, ten players who all have ball handling skills who can yeah. shoot who can do everything you know five lebron james all playing together yeah and i mean houston is doing the opposite they have none of those guys and they're just i mean it's not that they're trying to create a new future of the nba i mean by definition they're going against what other people see but it's not a general vision it's a specific vision because we have james harden 
We have Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Those two guys have these very unique skills, and how can we maximize them? And the way that you describe what Russell Westbrook's just domination, I mean, he decided I'm not going to shoot any more threes. I heard Mike D'Antoni say, you know, none of us said this to him. He just yeah. decided to do this. And, uh, and when there's nobody in the paint, there's nobody, you know, on the dunker spot cutting in for dunks. There's nobody clogging up the free throw line with a high post. He just has total space. And because they just decided to do this unit, it's dominant. But that doesn't mean it'll work for anyone without Russell Westbrook on the team, without James Harden on the team. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And I, I don't know what it was that came up on him, but I'm very, very glad he stopped shooting threes. Like the last, the last, like, actually his whole career, he's really been poor. <laughs> I'm just looking at the numbers now. And like, I think his highest season was like 32% or 34%. Damn. Like his highest actually was 34% back in 2016. And every year around that was 20s, like 29.9 from 14, 15, 29.6, 29.8, 29, and then this year 24%. So it took him seven years to figure it Some out. But self awareness right there. He figured buddy. it out. So thank, yeah. you know, thank the heavens this guy stopped because A, it clears up space for him to go inside, and he's really unstoppable when he gets in there. Just the, his speed, his strength, his momentum. Like I was watching this guy toy with the Utah Jazz, yeah. who are a respectable defensive team. They're not, these guys aren't, you know. You're not going to run through Utah you know, yeah. on any given night. Yeah. Utah is a, is a strong defensive team with a great coach. So shout out to Russell Westbrook for figuring that out. I think now is the point where Harden sort of steps into figuring out how to play with somebody else that's like him because he's been really just up and down. He was really, really cold, had a couple of good games, but he's just not been himself. So yeah. it would be good to see them sort of figure that out. Uh, but, Lewis, just a question for you. Uh, I did, We actually didn't know that you – chatted with nick nurse so tell us about like a like a cool like a funny nick nurse story that you may have well here's great this isn't so much um a specific story for me but he's a very i mean he's from iowa right so he's such a personable guy he tries to learn all of the media members names and so for post game because he'll go into the locker room talk to the guys and we'll all funnel into the media room which is across the hall sort of wait for him there and uh, what's funny is he'll always open the the conference talking to Doug Smith from the start. Doug is, for those who don't know, the OG reporter for the Raptors. He is yeah. just unbelievable. He knows his stuff inside and out. Every question, first question, always Doug. And in the NBA Finals, I was fortunate enough to be there as well. It's not Nick choosing who gets the first question. It's not even the Raptors. It's the NBA head office. They're PR people are yeah. choosing oh, who wow. asked the question. And the NBA head office still gave the first question every post game to Doug. Um, and so I bet with people, you know, Eric Green, Blake Murphy, I'll try to joke with them, you know, how Nick, sometimes he'll be like, what do you think of that, Nick? Or you st- still sticking around, Nick, if it's a boring game? or <laughs> You know, and so I always try to make little bets on what his opening line will be. Or Doug, yeah. sorry, Doug, not Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's, a, there's a fun little Nick Nurse right. story for you. Is he, a, is he as smart as people say he is? Well, he's sort of... basketball knowledge? Def- he definitely. I don't see a ton of it because, he, you know, competitive advantage. They always try sure. not to display that. But he, he really has a sort of balanced sense. Nothing is too high, nothing is too low. So, yeah. you know, after Terrence Davis scored 31... He was th- saying, you know, good game. He could clean up the. D-. He wasn't too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and after, you know, guys 
shoot one for 13. I think Kyle had a game like that. He's like, you know, they were good shots. It's not the end of the world. So I think what comes across less than his, his intelligence, which I'm, I know is there, he just sort of keeps it from us. But what comes across the most is his um, calm. Because in the playoffs, when it really becomes significant, every possession matters, some coaches sort of wilt. We saw that with you know, Bud in the in the series last year between mm-hmm. Milwaukee and Toronto. That's why that's why Dwight called Stan Van Gundy a master of panic back in the day, right? And and Nick Nurse is not that. He is a master of calm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nice. So let's just I mean keep kind of backtracking then um, before we keep going and talking about the Raptors. What is it that maybe you want to tell our audience that you do exactly for the Raptors Republic and maybe your journey as well as how how you got there? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm just a uh, staff writer there, sort of. Uh, I, I have the credential, the full-year credential through Raptors Republic, mm-hmm. um, which I'm very lucky to have. So um, I started by – I always read Blake Murphy. He was sort of the OG Raptors Republic guy. And um, I sent an article to him, I think, after the Serge Ibaka trade. I sent an article that Orlando – had a much better trade than people thought just because I no one was writing this. Everyone's like, Orlando's fleeced. They give up Obaka for Terrence Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just wrote this thing, and Blake was like, you know, this is good. I, I like how you write, but it has nothing to do with Toronto, really. If you do want to write something about <laughs> Toronto, I can put it on the piece if I like – on the site if I like it. So I did that a couple times, and then they sort of – he took me in and, and – um, let me write as much as I wanted, really, without um, without oversight. And then over the next few seasons, I covered the Raptors 905, and I got credentials there, which was very fortunate. And sort of, I learned how to do a press conference, how to form relationships with players, how to talk to coaches. Um, Malcolm Miller actually was with the 905 when I was there, and then went up to the Raptors when I did. So we both sort of see, <laughs> have seen the rise together, which is fun. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah, and then and then so this year or last year I had I think six or eight games, just one game passes, and then the playoffs, and then this year's a full cred. So it's just sort of stepping up and up. That's huge! Nice. Congratulations, man! Yeah. You're living you're living the dream for, for every real. Raptors fan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. Is this uh, is this what you're doing full time now? No, no. So I'm a okay. freelancer. So okay. I make what money I can. I've you know I write for I've written for CBC in the past and the Athletic and Vice. Um, oh, cool. But not enough to sort of be a full-time job. So I'm also a bartender as well in the city. Ooh, nice, nice, okay. nice. Um, cool, man. So let's uh, let's dive right into Raptors uh, Raptors talk. Let's do it. So uh, 14 straight. 14. That's the number one for any Toronto team. Forget Raptors team. Yeah. That's a <laughs> Toronto sports record. Um, so the Raptors are looking really, really good right now. But we're still missing guys like Norman Powell, Mark. guys like Marcus Allen now, especially with uh, Lowry's. Back Whiplash. and neck problem. Whiplash, at, at, man. To, to he's back v. tonight. He's. I. I read he was out tonight. No, he's back against Minnesota. Ibaka's out tonight. Oh, you know what? I. Re- I read Lowry back, and I thought his back, like back <laughs> injury. Oh my goodness. Okay, that makes so much sense. I was like, wait, what? Okay, yeah. So he's back tonight, but he missed a couple or like a game in a quarter. Yeah. Um. To which they still came out and, and won the game. So, uh, clearly this team has shown, um, just resiliency in terms of many, many core guys missing games. Obviously, Norman Powell, Marcus Saul, uh, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, all missing double-digit games. 
uh, Fred Van Vliet as well. Yeah. So literally everybody from the core guys, uh, except for Terrence Davis and OG, uh, missing a ton of games, uh, and we're still seeing a lot of success with this team. Uh, the systems that they're running, they're just prepared to compete. Mm-hmm. Guys stepping up like O'Shea Brissett stepping up uh, when he needs to be called up, and, and guys like, Matt Thomas, oh, buddy, Matt Bro, Thomas. That, that layup the other night. I'm high oh, on Matt Thomas. Wow. I see. I told you this earlier this season. I don't know if I'm gonna get wrecked for it, but I see a lot of JJ Redick in Matt Thomas. Obviously, he needs a lot of help, but just the way he moves off the ball, the way his quick release, like he creates that separation. Like I see a lot of JJ Redick in Matt Thomas. So I you hope he continues he to develop. You know what he does that's so similar to J.J. Redick? Actually, I totally agree. Is that little pump fake one dribble pull-up where his momentum's still going forward? Yeah. yeah. That one shot is just its straight out of the J.J. Redick book. Yeah, and J.J. Redick does it a lot behind the arc, but Matt Thomas does it a lot on the inside. And he'll he'll step in. into like a little shot yeah. floater. So yeah. it's it's beautiful. And, and when he's on, he's really on. Like He was on a couple nights ago. Uh, the yeah. game on the weekend. Uh, I can't remember who they were playing. Crap, I'm blanking. But they he had I think 13 the, or 14 the, at the, the half. Nets. It was Brooklyn. Yeah, it was Brooklyn. Uh, 13 or 15 at the half or something. I like just being very very aggressive making his shots. It reminded me of the game against the Lakers way back when when him, uh, Boucher and Rondé Hollis yeah. Jefferson really really kicked yeah. it up a notch. So he's definitely capable. I would love to see him more. Uh, Zayd and I were actually at a 905 game last uh, or two the last weekend. I don't know if you saw the video that went viral. Of the kid that exchanged food with Terrence Davis? No. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Found him yeah. under the bench. I yeah. didn't see that. So that's actually our, our boy's kid. And we were all there together. Like, we we were there when he took that video. Like, I had that video on my phone, like, five days yeah. before I went viral. So we were having a good laugh at that. That's great. Um, yeah, but we were there and we were looking. And I'm like, man, I would love to have seen Matt Thomas uh, Play. out here tonight, yeah. you know, playing in the 905. Because... Obviously, we're not giving him much run uh, in the main team. I would, I don't know what his contract situation is, if he's even allowed to play for the 905, but I would definitely love to see I think he's still too uh, him get some run. Just And, and obviously, shout-out to Paul Watson. Uh, with I think when they dropped Shamori, Paul Watson yeah. moved up yeah. uh, to, to the Raps. So a lot of young development, um, what we're seeing with the Raptors, obviously, preparation. So let me ask you, what's the key to playoff success for the Raptors, given all the hurdles that they've had to overcome this year i think the uh the foundation of their playoff success is there you know the the under heralded contributors guys exactly like matt thomas who will step in sort of score 13 points in one game and turn it around i mean mm-hmm. you know terrence davis is gonna win an, a playoff game himself this year like yeah i was just thinking about that the other day i'm like i can imagine yeah. There will be one playoff game where Terrence Davis will come out with like thirty points, yeah, off like twelve of fifteen shooting, like six for seven from downtown. Like I can just feel it. And he'll probably play six minutes the game before, and yeah. then eight <laughs> minutes the game after, and yeah. it'll still. And and so they have yeah. that right. They have guys who they can put in at any position. They have interchangeable, switchable defenses. They have, you know, they have single skill players like Matt Thomas on, you know, shooting or Rondé on defense. They have basically the different ingredients, but they the one thing that they don't know they might have is sort of that one superstar who's like the 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 cauldron spoon, that's not a thing. Yeah. But the thing that mixes it together, right? Kawhi yeah. was that last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe Siakam can be that this year, but they yeah. they aren't sure there's a guy who can just get, dump him in, get a you know, one point per possession, right? 50% shot, any possession they want. Maybe Siakam can do it. Some games it's there. But other yeah. than that, I mean, everything is pretty well perfectly in place. 
No, I agree, and and actually the Siakam thing is is a bit of a haunting thought because I've seen Siakam in the regular season against certain teams just crumble and not just crumble, but they, they take him out of the game. The one thing Siakam does really, really well, and we've talked about this later on the podcast, is he does a great job of never giving up. You know, no matter yeah. how poor he's shooting offensively, he's still putting in the effort, but there's games where he'll go 4 for 20, 5 for 20, and you're like, okay, like come playoff time, is this guy going to give us... Because in the playoffs, there's no, there's hardly any room for games like that. You yeah, need a guy who's no, going to give you, know. you know, like game seven against Philly. You need a guy who's 30. maybe not going to give you forty-one like 30. Kawhi. I need thirty, but I need twenty-five to thirty on a game yeah. seven. I just don't know that Pascal is that guy. But to be fair, it's unrealistic for anybody to expect that of him. It you sucks know, this, that we're asking him to do that, right? It, and it and sucks. it's kind of it's kind of a weird situation. Another thing that haunts me too is a lot of people are forgetting about this because. We're in awe this year with Kyle Lowry because he led us to a championship last year. He's Kyle Lowry. The guy's been here since, you know, before the playoff days when it was really nasty. And then DeMar days. And then yeah. I think he was here for the end of Bargnani days too. So he was here for some He was, he times. was, he was. Uh, and then obviously emerging as a champion and re-upping last summer. So everyone's in love with Kyle Lowry. He's having a really good season. But I never forget Kyle Lowry's playoff woes. And I don't know if that's something that, with a championship run, with playing like guys like Kawhi, is that something that we're not going to have to worry about anymore? Because when he went out last year and started game one against the Magic, zero points, uh, and we lost. It was another yeah. game one loss. And actually, he was talking about this on Vince Carter's podcast, uh, Winging It. They released the interview today with Kyle Lowry. He was talking about that, and he goes, we had to... It was one of the first times. It was one of three times Nick Nurse chewed us out. He's like, this guy, when we went to film, was chewing us out he's like you guys made dj augustine look like a champion like you guys did like he was dj august like just over and over and over again so um that was one of those like turning points so i would love to see um kyle lowry heading to maybe becoming that guy in the playoffs i just don't know there's a lot of question marks around the guy i think we have a great system but it'll be tough to have like a go-to guy especially when you're playing a team like boston who has a couple go-to guys a team like philly who has a couple go-to guys as well the upside with larry is that i don't think we need to ask of him as much as we did last year and i'm going to say that because we've got so many other pieces that can contribute if those pieces just keep on contributing that kind of that the sum of those contributions will allow him to you know, relieve some pressure. You've got Norm who's been playing well. TD who, he's young, but somehow, for some reason, we believe that he's going to be a difference maker in the playoffs. He's a dog. Right? So you have, and you have Freddie. You have Serge who's having probably, arguably the best year of his career. So yeah. you have a bunch of guys who are just balling that you hope can reduce the pressure on Kyle Lowry. And I don't think the pressure is on Kyle Lowry. The pressure is on Siakam because we're essentially giving, like, I don't, I, I think we're all spoiled because we, don't realize that Pascal, this is his first year essentially being the franchise player. He is supposed to go through playoff woes. his eighth year playing basketball. Yeah, exactly. It's his fourth year in the league? Fourth or fifth year in the league? Like, it's he's supposed to go through playoff woes. He's not supposed to have successful playoff appearances right away. And we've been spoiled, and he's kind of been spoiled because he's had success in the playoffs. He had it last year. He's won a ring. Now he won the, a ring with the 905, too. Exactly. So now the expectations are just so high. And I think that what's key is that, as, especially as Raptors fans, that yeah. you can get lost in that in, in that in that expectation because you have to come back down to earth and be like, he's still a kid. He's still learning how to be the yeah. franchise player, how to be the main guy, right? So it's his fourth year. In the- there you go. So 
it's so much to ask of a player who I think he has the tools, but I just don't think they're refined yet enough because sometimes it just doesn't look like he can be that guy in, in, in a way. Like his game just doesn't doesn't look polished enough. He's gotten a lot better. His decision making got a lot better. Yeah. He's he's added this this um back to the basket turn turn and fade, day, yeah. which has been amazing. So, but sometimes I just feel like is that pressure too much for such yeah. a young player? So. Uh, it, I want to add. In, I want to add in one thing, Louis, before we go to you on this. But um, why? Okay, so I think that the main person that, like, our guy, guy, this year in the playoffs, more than likely will be probably Fred VanVleet. I don't know why I feel. I don't know. I just sure. have this like feeling of Freddie is, for the for lack of better words, very steady. He's steady. Yeah, you exactly. Know, he, he, yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't waver. Right. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't get shook. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't stop playing hard defensively. He doesn't yeah. stop, you know, manning the floor. And and Kyle Lowry also in the interview with Vince talked about this, and he said Fred VanVleet is going to be a top point guard in the league for years to come. Mm. Uh, the age comparison of both of them at twenty five, Fred is much ahead of Kyle. Then obviously Kyle didn't have the opportunity that Fred has, but also Fred is more refined in his skill set. I think Fred is a great three point shooter. He's become very reliable to the point where. It's every him. time we're watching him, every time he puts up the ball, up. it's that feeling of, okay, this is going to go in. Yeah. And if he misses it, the next one's going to go in. Mm-hmm. So, Freddie has shown, you know, Milwaukee onward last year uh, because Philly essentially removed him from the series. But yeah. uh, Milwaukee onward, he played with so much heart and so much just determination. And he the, finds the players so well. He finds the hot hand so well. And he feeds... Guys like cutting like Terrence Davis in the backdoor cuts and Serge Ibaka on the pick and roll. So I I personally think of the young guys. I know we all look at Siakam as our guy, but Fred VanVleet could could be probably the most consistent one come playoff time. What do you think, Lewis? I mean, not only was he steady against Milwaukee and Golden State, he also shot like eighty percent from three over those two series. I mean, he oh didn't gosh. miss a jumper. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, so Toronto has those options. That's the part about it that should hopefully lift the weight off of Siakam's shoulders. Because the one thing that Siakam has been doing better since he came back from injury is his passing is a lot quicker. He's much faster at recognizing advantages and getting the ball to the right spot. Mm-hmm. And so even if he draws a triple team in, he may not, you know, he may shoot. 8 of 20 on the game, but if he's drawing those triple teams and hitting the ball where it needs to go, Toronto can still still put up 125 points. Like, we've seen that the, uh, multiple games in this 14-game streak. And so that's where Fred comes in, because not only, as exactly you said, does he run the pick and roll, I mean, he is an excellent driver, even if his finishing can be up and down, he's great at getting to the rim. Um, but his spot-up shooting is, like, top probably five or ten in the league and if Toronto ends up with Fred taking a spot up shot that's as good an offense as you can ask for and that's the type of thing that you know Fred can take off of Siakam's shoulders and Siakam can also take off Fred's shoulders by setting him up you know it's it's the team working together so the hope would be you don't have to just give it to Siakam in the post and say do something magic Mm -hmm. because that's tough for anyone that's tough for Kawhi but uh, but you never know until you see it, right? Everything we say is just guessing until we actually see it. No, absolutely. And uh, it's just like you were saying, Zay, too, earlier with the whole Pascal thing. Like I pulled up his 
career numbers and just the jumps that this guy has been it's making insane. from year one to four. Four points to seven to seventeen to twenty three, like a constant jump. His his everything is just better. Maybe his efficiency is a little bit down, but he's shooting nineteen shots to the four that he did in his first year, <laughs> right? So I mean, obviously, when you're jump. shooting nineteen shots and you're the guy, you're gonna you shoot a little out. bit less efficient. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, from from he's shooting forty six percent from the field, so that's essentially every other shot. Yeah. So he can get better. His three point percentage could get a little bit better. He's at thirty five right now. What's funny is that, that that's the one thing in his game that got worse because he started making a name for himself shooting corner threes. Yeah, but the right? corner three is the easiest shot in basketball. And then the those, those, three in but basketball, those right? threes got worse as well And as he yeah. started taking more shooting of the more offensive of yeah. load and stuff yeah. like that. It's I mean, weird. He's, he's down from 37 to 35. It's nothing crazy, Whatever. crazy but yeah. uh, definitely room for improvement there. But come playoff time, I'm just super excited to see this team uh, just strategically attack other teams. I'd love to see a matchup with Boston just because... I mean, Boston brings Miami. the best out of us. Miami is a tough uh, matchup. Yeah, actually, this wasn't really slated for a discussion, but, Luis, I want to hear your thoughts on Miami. Uh, do, do you think that this Iguodala, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill move um, sort of moved their pendulum at all? Not at all. Come playoff time? I don't think that matters at all in the playoffs. I mean, if if they're defenders, right? None of those guys are elite shooters, in fact, Jay Crowder shooting sub-30% this year, yeah. and Toronto won the whole damn finals by just asking Iguodala to shoot. And yeah. so, yeah. I mean, Solomon Hill shooting like a really good percentage from deep. but if I don't imagine he's going to play that much. Yeah, if he's on the floor, that's a win for Toronto. So, I mean, if <laughs> Toronto ends up with Jay Crowder guarding Pascal Siakam, that's a win anyway because, I mean, Miami has the second or third best Siakam defender in the whole league in Bam Adebayo, right? Mm-hmm. So I just I don't see how that changes the series at all against Toronto. And they just they rely on such young players, Kendrick Nunn, yeah. Tyler Hero, yeah, Duncan Robinson. Robinson. I mean, they're playing really well, all credit to them, but guys who've not lost in the playoffs before cannot win in the playoffs. Yeah. And they just they aren't I just I don't think they're gonna be a big challenge. I think yeah. Boston, I think even Philadelphia, much better playoff teams this year. Well, I worry about Philadelphia strictly because of their size, right? Because yeah. on the on the front that they have Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons, who are two very, very long guards, obviously Ben Simmons being much bigger, the Raptors are running Fred and Kyle, yeah. which is on the opposite spectrum of guards in terms of height. Uh, so it really can become easier to take certain guys out of the game. And mm-hmm. Philly's a team that I'll, I don't care how much chemistry issues they have right now. They can turn it on. I they think. can turn it on. The play. And they did turn it on last year. I mean, they were one Kawhi shot away from a conference final. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they would have fared against the Bucks, but they were right there to make the conference final. So I worry about Philly a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milwaukee, for some odd reason, don't ask me why. I'm just not a hundred percent sold on just because when you have one guy, that's your go-to guy. And you have a coach that knows how to take out that one guy or make him really, really uncomfortable. We stand a chance. Like yeah. I, I don't care what you tell me about. Yeah, fifty, forty. They're forty-five and one or whatever their record is. I don't. I don't <laughs> care. You know, I don't. I don't care that they're beating, pumping the brakes off everybody and their their net rating or their margin of victory is like thirteen. I get it. They're destroying teams in the regular season and they're a really, really good team. But it's different in the playoffs. Come playoff time, game plan. I just I just don't know how much I fear them because of how much I've seen or what I've seen the Raptors do to make Giannis uncomfortable. And then you talk about Miami. The only thing I worry about with Miami is Iguodala is a 16-game player, and that's what he calls himself in terms of 
he's a playoff guy. Yeah. Like when he when it's playoff time, it's like okay, now it's real basketball. It's time for me to turn it up. Obviously, he's a little bit older. He missed some time, so he's not going to be, you know, the same guy that he was. But last night he came in and he had about six assists on a plus ten, and everyone on the on the court was a minus like double digits, and he was the second highest and and plus minus. So obviously he's giving them positive minutes when he does play. Uh, but on top of that, I think you mentioned this, Lewis, with all the young guys that they have with Duncan, with uh, Tyler, with with Kendrick. There's no better thing for young guys than a solid vet. And a vet that's won championships before. A guy who knows not to be shaken after certain losses. You know, the amount of times that Golden State has faced adversity when he was on the team. You know, coming back from 3-1 against OKC. Giving up a 3-1 lead against the Cleveland mm-hmm. Cavalier, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, with guys going down an injury like last season. You know, giving up game one in the finals. There's just certain things that you need somebody who's gone through it uh, to have that. And I think Zayda and I were talking about that's the sort of effect that Kawhi had on... Pascal on Fred on yeah. our young guys on yeah. Norman Powell right so uh, him and Danny come in being champions and they, they have that playoff run and game in and game out you're going up and you, you, like what team has vets to rely on like the team like the Raptors had last year with Kawhi Danny Kyle Marcus Hall Serge Ibaka like that to have that core of vets it, it's so underrated and yeah. I think that that is the intangibles that that Iguodala brings to a team of guys who are dogs like these guys are competitors, so I think that there's a potential to take them to that next level. Uh, I think that they evenly compete. I don't think this puts them above anybody. I think the top four in the East are pretty. But that's a danger because you don't really see, you don't really see young teams winning championships. It's usually one of the older teams, one of the more veteran teams in the NBA. I made that point last week. I think uh, on uh, what Iguodala does for that team, like he brings that, he negates that issue of having young guys in the playoffs. But at the same time. Miami's reliance on the young guys, I think, is very high. So it's not like it's like a one-on-one trade-off where he eliminates it all. So they are re- they are a very good regular season team. And even you, when you when you talk about young guys, you even group in Bam Adebayo because he hasn't had much playoff experience either, oh, and he's yeah. been balling for them as well, right? So balling. So he's, he's like be- Draymond Green on crack. And taller and bigger and more athletic, more athletic, right? So, but Less he's annoying. he's still young as well, right? So as much as I I'm very high on that on that Miami Heat team, and I've enjoyed their season, and I've enjoyed from the, day one though, uh, yeah, from not, and, like before this trade, and I've enjoyed. I, I I think this trade helps them a lot. But when you look at this history, recent history, the landscape of the NBA, it's always been more veteran teams to win championships just because they know how to conduct themselves in the playoffs. Lose. They know how to lose. You have to know how to lose to win, right? So yeah. I look at the more veteran teams, Milwaukee. Was that team last year? They were the, they were kind of that young team last year. So now they come in this year with a chip on their shoulder, and they have that playoff experience with their core group of guys. So they become dangerous because of that. I like your point about Nick Nurse and having a coach that knows how to stop Giannis. And I still don't think that Giannis has added that three point shooting to his game where it's gonna stop Nick Nurse yeah. from stopping. Well, the, also the key to making Giannis uncomfortable is Mr. Marcus All. Exactly, but position Marcus defense. All, baby. That's it. Marcus All made him really, really uncomfortable, and the fact that that guy's still on our side. Hopefully, he's healthy and ready to go. Build the wall. Playoff time, but yeah, put up that wall with Surge, and he and had that. Uh, there was that athletic piece that came out after the playoffs where Giannis. He was talking to Eric Name, I think. He said he still sees Kawhi Leonard and Marcus All in his nightmares. That wasn't even an exaggeration. He's like, yeah, man, I dream about that. That's how what'll get him to the next level. But Gasol scares that guy, man. He is he is just a beast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Gasol's a great defender. He's a very very smart guy. 
Uh, so I can understand that. But with the draft, Giannis picking um, Pascal, Kyle, and being coached by Nikki, are we going Giannis 2021? I sure hope so. I sure hope so, too. <laughs> I'd love for him to come I, I over know, here. I, I was going to say, like, we have a massive Greek community, so uh, Taste of Danforth is going to move to whenever that Brother, whatever he wants. Is. Greek, Nigerian, we have all the communities yeah. he can want. Yeah, right? For sure. So, For sure. Now, um, let's talk buyouts. Um, so I have a list here of guys, uh, potential buyout candidates. Louis, you probably have more insight on, on this than I do. Uh, but there's some guys with expiring contracts, like Evan Turner, uh, Marvin Williams, who just got picked up by by Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, I think Dallas, Dallas is, interested. Is, is the the suitor for him. An interesting one here, a full circle, Bismack Biombo. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to talk about him. He had that great playoff run with the with the Raptors. We got him paid. I don't care what anybody wants to say. The Raptors playoff run got him the four year seventy two. And at the time, everyone was like, "Well, why why would the Raptors let him walk? He was a great defender. This is that." And then all of a sudden now he's getting bought out of his contract because he's just not worth that money. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. So Bismack's available. John Henson, Matthew Delvadova, Langston Galloway, Alan Crabb, Tyler Johnson. Uh, Darren Collison has officially decided he's not going to be coming back. Uh, but I would have loved to see him get Pat McCaw's minutes. I'm not a big yeah. Pat McCaw guy. But um, guys playing in foreign leagues are Andrew Bogan, Miles Plumley, Jared Bayless, um, Jeremy Lin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the bio market is not the most pretty, but there are a couple names in there. Uh, what do you think are some moves that teams can make uh, that would catapult them? If any moves, maybe not catapult them, but would help them at least benefit in some sort of way. Yeah, I think Bismack would be at least a worthwhile player, not because he'll play a lot of minutes. I mean, he, he should only play for Toronto were he to come here. If there were foul trouble or injuries, I mean, he wouldn't actually get time. A, a, a game like tonight where Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is starting against the Minnesota Timberwolves, I mean, Bismack would see some time there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, most guys, though, I, I don't see cracking the rotation. I mean, maybe a Tyler Johnson, if he were to be bought out, he could he could take some guard minutes. I'd probably prefer them go to Terrence Davis, though. Yeah, I just people that. sort of think the buyout market is where you add playoff contributors, but historically, it's almost never been that. Yeah, I mean, there was the Spurs made a pretty big one with Boris Diaw in 2012, <laughs> but that's yeah. uh, like again, Boris Diaw is not a, one of their core guys. He did play really, really good minutes for them, but I mean, last year the Raptors dipped in the in the bio market and got Jeremy Lin, who. Really did not get much run, if any, for the And Raptors. who we all wanted. Who every reporter, every fan said this guy would be a superstar fit. Everyone <laughs> thought he'd yeah. play a ton. And, yeah. you know, it's just there's a reason these guys are buyout candidates. No, absolutely. Yeah. And actually on our last episode we had, or a couple episodes ago, we had William Liu on from Yahoo. And he was talking about. Superstar. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. Absolutely. That guy's got a great voice. He's the best. <laughs> yeah, he's got a great voice. I just want to tell him that. But, um, but he was telling us, like. One of the biggest questions before you can consider any player is, can this player play Nick Nurse defense? Yeah. And that yeah. question is the golden question for any player coming in. Like, yeah, all these names can look so appealing and all these guys, you know, with, with all these skill sets and all that. But can they play Nick Nurse defense? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters and that's what's going to get you rotation minutes. It's not the fact that you can go out and get buckets. Like, people were saying the Raptors should explore Jamal Crawford. Like, no chance. No, buddy. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't. I, and even the whole, like, 
there were a few rumors or people saying, you know, just rumblings of should they go back and try to get DeMar or try to trade for DeMar. It's like, no, we got rid of DeMar because he couldn't do certain things, right? He, he doesn't do certain things at a really high level, like shoot threes, like play defense. And Pass. that is the system that we're running. Like, we need guys who are going to come in and play great defense. And also, like like you said, just now passing. And that's something we discussed with Will last week, too, is throughout that or throughout the, the winning streak for the Raptors, they've had several different guys as the team high. Yeah. And also, I think about seven, eight guys averaging double digits in scoring. So the ball is not stagnant. It's moving around. It's it's not one guy pounding the rock. It's, it's not handoff guys the offense always. You know, playing, playing a beautiful system. So uh, exciting times around the league. And uh, obviously, for the Raptors coming up, too, it should be a fun playoff run. But, uh, Lewis, I think we got to let you go pretty soon. Tip offs in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before you leave, I just have one more question for you. Hit me. And this is a question from a surprise guest. I'll tell you who it is after. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I've been advised to ask you about the differences between yours and Karl Marx's take on the Paris Commune. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, Samson. But explain (laughs) to us the Paris Commune first because neither of us know what's going on. So this is a uh, throwback to Samson, uh, who is actually a good friend of mine. In that introduction, you you know, you said you see what see what you say. Yeah, he's he's great. I love him. Yes, yes. When he comes to Toronto, I'm pretty sure he'll be staying at my place actually. Oh, cool. So um, yeah, he's coming soon, he was telling us. Yeah. So I have a master's in history and I studied um, I studied the Paris Commune. It was a revolution in Paris in eighteen seventy one where basically the the city rose up and, you know, declared independence from the country, kind of. Um, and so Karl Marx's take was that it informed him – let's see if I can remember this here. It informed him that the people could not repurpose the means of production. So if you read early Marx – this is kind of hardcore socialist, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, philosophy, but – in his early thought, Karl Marx's, including, by the way, uh, the Communist Manifesto, there was this sort of inkling that the people could take the means of production, factories, for example, just change ownership and have it serve this sort of Marxist revolution. Um, but then after he saw the Paris Commune where the people tried to do that and it failed – he decided that no, the means of production would always serve capitalism, no matter who owned it. So yeah. you actually had to destroy them and build your own means of production, okay. which um, yeah, which ended up being one of the main uh, influencers of Vladimir Lenin and his revolution in 1917. So not you know to say that this was good or bad, but certainly the way that this affected Marx's thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one thing. He's like, yeah, just make sure you ask him for us. So, shout out to Samson. He's uh, he's gonna have a, a good laugh out of this one. So, um, and with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, um, just wrapping up this episode, Lewis, thank you so much for for giving us the time yeah. to, to chat, and it was super cool to go back and forth with you on this. And uh, hopefully, closer to playoff time, come playoff time, if you're free, come on over. We'll talk about. Uh, more Raptor stuff in depth, and uh, and glad you know excited to hear what you have to say about uh, about that. Hell yeah! Thanks so much, guys. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah, our pleasure, dude. And uh, to everyone else, we're going to be releasing early this week. Yeah, uh, only one release this week though, because I'm going to be out of the country. Sorry, Z. Snake ass. Uh, but uh, we'll be back at you next week. So enjoy this week, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll be back at you. Peace. Take care.
I really appreciate that, guys. Thank you. This was super fun. Oh, for sure. I'd love to. All right. Take care, guys.